question. Our lesson today is the, the Millennium Part 1. That's I handed it out last week, but we never actually got to it. Okay, Revelation chapter 20. Uh, before we get started, for those that might have missed it early on in our prayer time, there was a uh, announcement given. I'll say this, it's a good news, bad news thing. The bad news is, this is Pam's last Sunday with us. She's moving. The good news is, there's going to be a potluck dinner in her honor following the second service. <laughs> and that would be something to put on the prayer list, that uh, maybe she could find a ride from somebody coming in from the Medford area that, could, that actually swings past her anyway. So we'll, it's address to follow. So we'll try to figure out where she lives, and then maybe something can be worked out. We'll see. Okay, the Millennium Part 1. Revelation 20, verses 2 and 3 be our, our text to get us started on this. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the abyss, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he should not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Okay. Now, at the com- I'm just going to run through this very quickly. At the completion of the thousand years, we, we've read it last week, so I'm not going to read it again, but uh, Satan will be released, defeated, and thrown into the lake of fire. That'll be uh, a topic for later. Now, the great white throne judge, well, actually, actually speaks for itself. You read those verses, you've got the whole story, okay, 7 through 10. Uh, the great white throne judgment, that's Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. <clears throat> and when we talked about the resurrections, you know, the, the first resurrection, the second resurrection, we talked about that last time. And now, what comes next, and I'm going to show this, after the great white throne judgment, at or around that time, okay, I think it was probably just following or maybe in, in connection with, who knows, the destruction of the existing heaven and earth. Okay, a lot of people, let's look at Second Peter. Hey, Bob. Yes. I have a concern with the way... Uh, hey, Kitter, uh, you're losing rewards now. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I just saw that jewel fly off into the night. <laughs> We've been praying for you. <laughs> We're going to have to step it up. <laughs> I think next time I'll just say tossed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I need a new thesaurus or something. Okay. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 2, or se- 3, I should say, 3 to 12. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come and they're mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Forever, since the fathers fell asleep and all... All continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. 
for when they, right now, what it's talking about, Peter's speaking from his historical setting. Okay, now remember too, in the last days, he's talking about those, remember the last day started with Messiah arriving on earth. Remember Hebrews 1? Um, if you don't, I'm just going to read that first uh, verse uh, one one in Hebrew says, God, after he spoke long ago to the Father, <clears throat> to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, okay, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So the last days officially started with the first coming of Messiah. Now, so take and he's just going to walk us right on through prophetic history really he's just going to walk us forward so kind of keep that in mind verse 5 for when for when they maintain this it escapes their notice that by the word of god the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water by water and, and through which the word <clears throat> the world at that time was destroyed flooded with water now second peter is is well second peter chapter 2 is very similar to the, the little letter of jude you know they're talking about the same thing apostates false teachers, false preachers. And the one thing that escapes them, their understanding is, hey, judgment's coming, pal. <laughs> you know, judgment's coming. Wise up. He's denouncing and So he's warning the readers here. Judgment is coming. No matter what anybody tells you, judgment is coming. And so he's writing them through which the world at that time was destroyed, the flood, the, Noah, the flood in the time of Noah. But the present heavens and earth by his word are are being reserved, okay, the present heaven and earth, the one we live on right now, are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So that's why I say, I think it's coming in, it's in, it seems like it's just following or in hand with the great white throne. It's right around there somewhere. It's got to be, it's right there, time-wise. We'll know for sure when the time comes, okay? Um, now, verse 8. But do not let these ones fact escape you, beloved, that when with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burnt up. Since all these things are be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be holy in conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening of the coming of the day of God, on which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. Now that day, some say, well, that's right at the second coming. No, it's not. At the second coming, remember, he's going to be calling people. That's when that thousand years starts. And the kingdom promises are fulfilled. It's after all those promises are fulfilled. Matter of fact, the earth is upgraded during the millennium. We will see that, uh, if not this week, by next week for sure. See? But then also we're going to find out there's going to be sin in the millennium. So it's not a perfect situation yet. Because sin is still going to be there in the millennium. So we just keep that in mind too. So as we move forward now, and so just think about it. so that's so after the millennium, 
you've got the great white throne judgment spelled differently and then you have the destruction of this heaven and, and earth and then you have the new heaven and new earth at which will there'll be no end to that one okay so when they talk about we in, we enter the kingdom that lasts forever and ever it does last forever and ever in the millennium the earth is going to get a facelift and then after that it's all going to be wiped out and a brand new one brought in okay and it's, it's just that simple and uh, uh, <clears throat> the reason I bring it up because very often, often you'll you'll hear messages or, or Bible lessons where they'll read uh, passages about the millennium and oh that's the new heaven. No, no, it's not. Or they'll read this and say, well, that happens at the no. The earth isn't burnt up when Jesus comes back. You know, some people get a little warm, but the earth itself is that's not that doesn't happen until after. If this is all done, and then when 100% of humanity is in fact saved, then we get the new heaven and new earth. Okay? Make sense? Just one follows? Good. Now, one of the, uh, <clears throat> the okay, some, some characteristics of the millennium, like I say, it's going to take a couple of weeks. So the characteristics of the millennium, one, and there's a bunch of them, so I'm just, I started with this one. We've already seen it, but it's worth repeating because the Lord needs to be given honor in all this. The Lord will be king over all the earth. Zechariah 14.9. Let's go there again, and you can keep your finger in that one because we'll be back there shortly. As a matter of fact, in the next section. And some of this we've seen already. But it's good to review a little bit because it can get confusing. Zechariah 14.9 And the Lord will be king of the earth. See, I told you. <laughs> the Lord will be king of the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one. Notice the emphasis there when he is going to be the ruler of the world. Okay, now let's compare that with Daniel chapter 2. And don't lose your place here. We'll be back in Zechariah. But Daniel chapter 2, this goes way back into the, some of the earlier days of our lessons. Again, talking about that very first, remember the Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and then Daniel. Uh, <clears throat> would later would interpret that dream but verse 235 says and this is that fourth the lower portion the iron that's the clay the bronze the silver and the gold were crushed this is the whole statue at the same time and we became like chaff from the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found but the stone now that stone represents christ the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Mountain, the term mountain in prophetic language represents kingdom, nation. Okay, so the Lord, by coming and just wiping out that last, uh, wiping out this statue, which represents the final form of all of this, of all of the prophetic nations, uh, the kingdom of the Antichrist being the final one, when that's destroyed, 
Christ is the only one left. He's the last king standing. And then the last nation standing. Because it's his nation. And he rules. And then chapter 7, verse 14, we have a similar... Uh, Daniel seven fourteen. And this, again, this is that famous passage that referred to where Jesus is referred to as Son of Man. When he refers to himself as Son of Man, think Daniel 7. <laughs> and, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, unlike all the previous nations mentioned in Daniel 7. Okay? So when you get to that, and he's talking about those nations, they're, they're gone, he's there, and he's the only one there. Now let's look at Isaiah chapter 9, a very famous uh, passage that uh, often shows up every Christmas. And rightfully so. Dan, <clears throat> Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Again, referring to the uh, birth and reign of the Prince of Peace. 9, 6 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You see that he came... He, but the ultimate, his ultimate destiny is to be the king over all the earth and all peoples. And that's, that's what this is all talking about. And then you move forward in, in uh, Isaiah to Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 5. No, I mean, there's, there's, these passages are everywhere. I'm just grabbing ones that are kind of Quite frankly, they're self-explanatory, easy to understand. Um, I mean, easy so I can even understand it. Chapter 11 of Isaiah, verses 1 through 5, and these are great passages because it, it, these passages also are Old Testament passages that speak to things like, well, the deity of Christ and, and just like... You know, all these New Testament truths are not new, <laughs> okay? Uh, but 11.1, one. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from its roots will bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see. Catch, catch that one? He will not... Unlike humans, he will not be limited by what he can see and, and apprehend. Physically. Yeah. It speaks of his omnipotence. He knows all his all-knowing. See? Nor make decisions on what his ears hear. Oh, yeah? 
Uh, you, know, you go to court, you're not going to lie to him. <laughs> oh, you may lie. One may lie to him, but you're not going to get away with it. You know, he's going to, matter of fact, he'll know you're going to lie before you can get there. But that's just, <laughs> I know you guys wouldn't do that. We're not going to, we'll, but uh, we'll be in a whole different position then. Verse 4, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. Interesting, because this kind of gives you a little idea of some of the... See, conditions are great, but not necessarily perfect for everybody. Okay, so we'll get to that when we get there. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and he with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt upon his loins, and faithfulness the belt upon his waist. Okay, and we can... We'll go on to some of that other stuff later when we talk about more of the living conditions, how things are going to change. Now, number two, setting the next big point on our outline here, and this is where it takes us back to Zechariah, that the millennial kingdom will be an earthly kingdom. Some folks want to get us, some folks, well, there's a group called the, uh, they're all millennial, you've heard that term all millennial, that that thousand years mentioned there is not a literal thousand years? Okay. Like uh, some of our good friends, uh, uh, like I'm not bad-mouthing anybody, but you know Lucas, the pastor there at the church in Rim, he's an all millennial. So it's just kind of like, that's kind of like the church age. It's all, you kind of have to spiritualize it. It doesn't work. But um, it will be a literal earthly kingdom. And we saw that in 14. I'm not going to, I'm going to read the notes here. I'm not going to read the passage. We've been through there before. Okay, all millennial means, where you read in there, um, where Satan's locked up for 1,000 years. You know, you wonder, why is he locked up for 1,000 years? What's going on in that 1,000-year period where Satan is locked up? Um, <clears throat> the millennial kingdom is going on. The, the kingdom, which, which we're going to get into in our lesson too, that fulfills all those promises made to Israel about the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, all that comes true. And all those Old Testament saints, along with the tribulation saints, are risen from the dead and they're brought in. Now, the church member is risen from the dead at the rapture. But <clears throat> by spiritualizing the millennium, you come into problems um, uh, <clears throat> in that if if that thousand years was the church age, then would it, you're telling me Satan's locked up? No. During the church age? No, hardly. Not hardly. You see, does that explain it better? Get it? No, I don't think so. Isn't it the amillennialists don't believe in the rapture? No, 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 no. That's a whole different issue. No, a whole different issue. They believe the millennium is is the church age, basically, and you spiritualize it. Like we're, in it. we're in the millennium right now. Yeah. Matter of fact, we're in the second one now. If you want to be literal, no. There's but some logistical problems with that too. With there's there's a lot of problems. A lot of issues with the to really understand it, I'd have to go back and recreate. I've got the stuff at home. I can do that if you want to, and recreate what they believe, and just list what they believe. Maybe I need to do that. Let's just stick Yeah, there's a lot of things that get get skewed by... I'll tell you, it happens all the time. Once a person moves away, 
from a literal interpretation, you create problems for yourself because then you're forced to allegorize, spiritualize, unwittingly. And these are good people that do this. I mean, these are not, we're not talking heretics here. They're wrong on this, I believe. I mean, uh, hey, there's some good godly people that baptize babies, all right? I mean, R.C. Sproul did that. I mean, so we, we're, not, we're not talking heres, heresy here. <laughs> we're talking, I would say, error. But uh, Like they rationalized the happening. Over well, basically, I, what I've noticed with all millennial and even and post-millennial, which is another view, those folks, quite honestly, don't deal a lot with prophetic passages. I've noticed, that's one thing I've noticed about them, they just don't get into it a lot. I mean, uh, and we're talking some, you talk over the centuries. We talk about all-millennial and post-millennial. You talk some, some big-time guys. I mean, we're, not, we're talking like Calvin, Luther, uh, Warfield, Hodge. We're talking some pretty, pretty powerful people, theologically speaking. If you know those names, you know what I'm saying. They were all all-mill or post-mill. Yeah, all these guys. I mean, and these are not theological lightweights. These are, these are people... You've got people like Warfield and Hodge, for example, that, that stood in the gap when Princeton was being attacked by the left. So these are not people, I'm, I'm not running people down for being on millennium, I'm disagreeing with them. But it just, it, there's, there's confusion out there when you hear different things like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just don't be surprised if you hear it, because it, it's, it is out there. It is out there. And many, I'm, I'm, do you, ever, you guys ever listen to a guy named James White? Ever listen mm-hmm. to him? I mean, he'll even scoff at people that believe what I believe, premillennial. He'll even think, oh. you know, and they try to pass it off as some kind of new uh, approach to prophecy when it actually isn't. Um, but anyway, like I say, it's, it's easy. To get, that's why if we were doing a hardcore study of eschatology, those amillennial, postmillennial views, historical premillennial, all and there's some wackos in the premillennial camp. <laughs> I mean, and there's there's, some, I mean, we're talking TBN wacko. We're, and most of those folks are premillennial, and they just make a mess of it. So I mean, so you know, there's there's a lot to go through and see how this could get very very involved. No, it it shouldn't. It, I mean, in terms of, uh, I mean, I can, I can, I could fellowship, I can easily fellowship with people that are amillennial and postmillennial. That, that's I have no problem with that. I don't know if I'd want to go to that church that teaches that though, because I, I I hate sitting through sermons going cringing. No. <laughs> <laughs> but on the bright side, they don't preach about it much. Anyway, well, yes. Is there a some of the Presbyterian groups, but a lot of those are, uh, well, like your Reformed Baptists are post-millennial. Yeah. Okay. And basically, uh, many of them are post-mill. Uh, some of your Presbyterians are all-mill. Um, <clears throat> and some of those are post-mill, too. I mean, so it's hard to say. There's, there's, a lot of times when you hear them preach and teach on that subject, it's hard to tell them apart. You know, it just, it's hard to tell them apart sometimes. Because you have to allegorize and spiritualize a lot of these passages, and and, and it and they kind of end up sounding the same. The the post mill 
is like, is like the gospel eventually is going to win out and Christ will come back. That, that's to put it in there in the simplest amount of terms. Like one day the world's just going to get converted. Um, I don't read that here. I, th- I see where things get worse and worse and worse and worse. And finally he comes and puts the hammer down. <laughs> but anyway, again, we got off a little bit here. But we're, but we're back to the point the millennial kingdom will be an earthly kingdom. Well, Zechariah 14, you know, again, where it says his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. You, now, you've got to spiritualize that away. If, if the Lord, Yahweh, will be king over all the earth, verse 9, the waters will flow out of Jerusalem, the topography of the land is going to be changed. We saw that in Revelation 16. Known cities and places still exist when he arrives, uh, verses 10 and 11. And then the nations will go up to worship the nations will go up to Jerusalem to worship. Okay, verses 16 through 19 in Zechariah 14. So, I mean, it's a real, the world is the, is still the same world. It's been upgraded. We saw that already. The Remember that ma- massive earthquake that sh- the island shifted out of place and Jerusalem became the high spot everywhere around, you know. And look at Isaiah. Back to Isaiah. We'll get some more passages. Yes. Well, Revelation 16, we won't go there now, but Revelation 16, verses 17 through 20, one of the bold judgments, just <clears throat> which comes right up against, I mean, right prior to his coming, just changes the topography of the entire earth. It, it says so. When islands, islands fled out of the way, <laughs> that is an earthquake. I mean, when you got islands, just pew, whoa, where to go? <laughs> I mean, that brings, there's one congressman that was worried about Guam. His worst nightmare. Have you heard about that guy, Johnson? He thought it was going to flip over. Yeah, he said he didn't want to. This is a this is a guy who makes laws. He actually believed. He 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 was in a congressional hearing. This guy Johnson, it's congressman. He his concern about putting too much military people and stuff on Guam. He says he was afraid it would cause the island to tip over. I kid you not. I'm not making this up. I wouldn't make up something. That would be a lie. It's on videotape. You can. Oh yeah, it's there. It's there. Was it Hank Johnson? What's? Yeah. I, don't know. I, I mean that, and how he got elected to Congress. Oh Lord, have mercy! I tell you. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I mean, if you made a movie about this, they'd say, oh, come on, stop it. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 2. Let's get something more uh, helpful here. Isaiah 2, 2 to 4 says, Now it came to pass in, in the last days... The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established, and the chief and the chief of the mountains will be, and the chief of the mountains and 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 will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. The chief among the nations. Talk about Jerusalem again. That's that's Isaiah telling us what what we saw in Zechariah, but the elevation of Jerusalem to be because again that's the that is the real city on a hill. Okay, that is the one that. the, the folks will flock to, and that's where Jesus will be ruling the earth from. Okay? And it'll be raised above. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob. See, the God of Jacob. Very, very specific. 
And uh, let's, we'll, let's move forward to chapter 42 in Isaiah. And again, this is uh, Isaiah 42 is talking about, again, this is one of those famous servant songs, but it's talking about, again, um, what he will ultimately do. <clears throat> Verse 4 says, concerning the Lord, it says, He will not be disheartened or crushed un- until, <clears throat> until he has established justice in the earth. Justice in the earth. And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Okay? Um, finally, those people of the earth that make it through <laughs> the tribulation period, and there will be lots of people that make it through alive. Okay? They're going to be just waiting for true justice to happen. And here he comes. See? And it just, again, but it just shows that... the. It, it's going to be an earthly kingdom. Um, look at Micah 4. We don't have time to read all of these, but Micah 4 is one of those passages that it has, a, has a Christmas one in there too. Um, 4, 1 and 2 says, It will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the people's stream. Boy, that sounds an awful lot like Isaiah, doesn't it? And many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, into the house of God of Jacob, and he may teach us about his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the world, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And here's one that you don't think of much in Psalm twenty two. Let's look at Psalm twenty two. That's the one that we see that vivid description of a crucifixion centuries before crucifixion was even invented, but that's not all that's in Psalm 22. Pick it up, verse 27. As a matter of fact, you read through there, you'll find that the tone changing from despair and the crucifixion story to hope and even joy, because in there, in there <clears throat> you'll even see where the resurrection was possible. But then uh, verse 27 says, and here again, going to the ultimate end, and all the ends of the earth will remember, will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. And that is very similar to uh, Psalm 24, verse 1, the the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. And so one of these days, the world will in fact recognize him as that king. Okay? Um, <clears throat> and then, something we've seen before is that the millennium will fulfill the Abrahamic, Davidic, and new covenants. No. The promises of the Abrahamic covenant, I, I listed them there. I'm, I'm not going to read them all. Okay, matter of fact, I don't think I'm going to read any of them today. Um, and we'll probably just move on, unless you want to go through these again, but they're just quite extensive. But I've got a, a, a lot of it highlighted in the next section here, where it says, in our outline, where it says, is, is this, see, the Abrahamic covenant is the one about the land. And the 
descendants of uh, Abraham possessing that land. Okay? Uh, and here's one of the big problems I have with millennial and post-millennial, so many of them have to, whether they want to or not, they have to come to the conclusion that the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants, sorry, were conditional. And it never says they're conditional. Look at this. Um, from Genesis 12, 2, he says, I will make you a great nation. Where's the condition there? When God says, I will do something, when has he ever not done it? Any examples? Okay. Um, God said, all the land which you see, I will give to you and to your descendants forever. Genesis 13, 15. God said, I am the Lord, Yahweh who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Genesis 15, 7. So every time this covenant is brought up by God to Abraham, God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. He never said, I will, if you, no, I will, I will, I will. Okay? And it says... uh, And the next one, I guess, is God said, I will establish between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations, throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to, to, be, to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Genesis 17, 7 and 8. And then we can read on, we won't go there, but you can read where the covenant was passed on to Isaac and then to Jacob. And just right on down the line, and you know who Jacob is, right? What was his name changed to? Israel. Israel. Okay, and it's there's nowhere in there. And then you go to the Davidic covenant. We've seen that before, uh, the Davidic covenant. Let's look at the Luke. Luke chapter 1. You know... You know, some of these passages we associate with Christmas have just, uh, I mean, they just, the, the meaning goes way beyond just the celebration. But there's a lot to celebrate around Christmas time, more than we even think. There's so much there, so much richness involved there. Luke 1, 32 to 35 says, speaking of Jesus, he will be, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. There's the Davidic covenant. Now remember, we're in Luke, as in New Testament book, because you've got to go to the place where, oh, the church takes Israel's place. No, 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 it never says that. Nuh-uh, it does not say that. Matter of fact, Romans says we're grafted in. So, okay, we'll give you the throne of your father David, and he will reign over the house of the church? No, the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And, and Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And we know the Son of God is a title of deity. So, there it is. I mean, telling Mary, 
and Jesus spoke to them and the Jews. The new covenant, let's go look at Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. We've got a few minutes here. Not much more than that, but a few. Jeremiah 31, beginning at 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will, there it is again, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them from the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband of them, declares the Lord. Now you want to talk of a conditional covenant, there it is. The one with Moses. That was conditional. They blew it. But because God, who he is, merciful and gracious, the new covenant is even better than the old. It's even better than the old. Now, verse 32, um, verse 33, excuse me. But this is a covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will, again, remember, I will, I will, I will. Notice the action is coming from one source and one source only, from God to the people. Okay? He says, But this covenant which I will make to the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their hearts. I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they... And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Well, why won't, he, why won't they teach that? Well, for they shall all know me. So when little, all the Jews that enter this kingdom will be saved. 100% of Israel will be saved, and I believe stay that way through the millennial reign. And then move off with the church into the new heaven and new earth. Well, where did the sin come from? <laughs> Those pesky Gentile nations. <laughs> okay, that come in there. And uh, you know how those folks are. And uh, just, they start having, you, you can have a whole bunch of kids in a thousand years. Especially in perfect living conditions, which we will see where people live longer lives, kind of like they did in the, the pre- uh, Years like Noah and those boys, how long they live? Yeah, the lifespans increase. We're gonna we'll see that next week. I don't. I'm not. I don't think. And I I have to double check on this. I can't find any verses that talk about them having kids, although they could. But um, well, the natural order of man will still be in play. Yeah, but uh, the Jews that go in there were all saved. No, I can't speak for their children. And you would say that they would come to faith just like everybody else does. You would think so. You would think so. But I haven't got there yet. But I do know, hey, a lot of this stuff I'm studying for the first time and coming back. So, you know, give me a break here. (laughs) So, and it says, um, back into verse 34, "And, And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For Why? For I will forgive them their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Okay, so all those folks are truly saved. Did Israel lose their promises? It's pretty clean. Let's look at Zechariah. It will come about in the land, declares the Lord, that 
Two parts of it will be cut off and perish, but the third part will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver as is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. Now, who is that third part? That's the third part of the the nation Israel. And that third part that remains and is brought through is refined. And they are true believers. And then you can see that in other places. I'll pick I'll pick up these last couple of verses next time because we just flat out of time. That's all of Israel that makes it through the tribulation period. The other portion, the other part, see that the Jewish group that comes in there is going to be those of the tribulation era and all the Old Testament saints are going to be risen from the dead with long, I believe, at probably the same time as the tribulation saints are, king right into the kingdom. See, the church has already been taken care of at the rapture. Because just think of the church, to think of Old Testament, and then here comes, well, like we read in Luke, here comes the, the gospel period, right? It's kind of a transition period. The church actually started, the official kickoff date of day one of the church would be Pentecost. So, you figure from Pentecost to the rapture is the church age. And then when the tribulation period comes, the church is taken away and God turns his attention back to Israel and <clears throat> thoroughly purges. That's A lot of that's purging, purging, judging, purging. And you come out the other side of that, you've got, you're in the kingdom. And so the church is like a parenthesis. It starts up and ends. It starts up at Pentecost. It ends at the rapture. See, the, the, the rapture of the church is the next major prophetic event on God's calendar. You figure it's been a while, so the moments are getting closer and closer and tighter. <laughs> Let's, uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time together. We just pray, Lord, that you are glorified through all this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. <laughs>